Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode, Nick and I sit down with our good friend Ruben Furtado to discuss luxury real estate here in the greater Toronto area. Ruben has an absolute knack for designing beautiful properties, getting involved with buying lots and knocking down houses, doing custom builds with the clients that he works with, and always has great insights into the state of that market. And the wonderful world of real estate always has its ups and downs, so we brought him on this particular episode to get all the latest on that category of real estate. We also go a bit into his background and how he came to run a furniture store, his involvement in that furniture store in Toronto and what he was doing with it in Oakville. Um, and this is in his early years, as you'll, you'll hear. When he had kids, he had kids pretty young, so how that experience all was and why he went down the real estate rabbit hole the way he's done. Both of us met each other in the tech industry. Ruben was actually my first sales manager when I left the technical role and let the sales managers know I wanted to join the sales side. He was the first one to kind of like tap me on the shoulder and throw me into his team and it probably changed the entire course of my life. So I'm forever thankful for that. And uh, yeah, we just had a great chat about real estate. And if you're listening to this and you want to get some real estate information, but maybe you're not ready to take action just yet, you can get yourself added to our weekly email list where we sh share all kinds of real estate data, different charts, opinions on the real estate market, also economic data, specifically here in Ontario. And then we talk about the economy in Canada. And then we talk about the economy at a global level because that ultimately impacts interest rate decisions here in this country. And that affects our real estate properties on the streets locally. So we do all of that stuff in our weekly newsletter. You can get yourself added to that weekly newsletter list by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash newsletter. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash newsletter. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Nick, I'm just checking. Can you hear me okay? Perfectly. Ruben, we can hear you? You can. I think we're good. We're alive. Come right close into the mic. Oh my gosh, we're good. Hey, we're here with uh, Nicholas Alexander Carazza. Ruben, do you have a middle name? Garcia. I was going to say Manuel. Nope. That's my brother. Garcia. Ru Ruben Garcia? Garcia. I don't think it's not Portuguese guy. though, is it? Uh, I think it's Spanish. Yeah, it sounds Spanish, but I guess Ruben it's just Garcia Furtado, Garcia. Mm -hmm. Holy smokes, um, dude! I'm you knew that. No, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, okay. He's listen. probably told you five times. You just didn't no, listen. No, no, trust me. I tell Ruben things five times. He doesn't listen to me. Hey, I know so much has been changing. Um, I want to ask you a whole bunch of stuff with your uh, kind of a bit of your life because I'm not sure everyone knows some aspects of your life story that I, I find interesting and the real estate market especially kind of I would call it the luxury home market do you refer to the some of the real estate that you do as the luxury home category or what would you refer to it as I, I would I think that's a, a fair assessment be luxury uh, and then what are you seeing different in that category because recently you've been kind of uh, we'll get into numbers and price points and trends in that market but you've seen a change in the market in the way you're working with people a little bit just explain to me what's happening there and then I have some questions for you uh, so because there's been so much going on with some of the content that we're producing and putting on social media and people reaching out looking for help again our business our business models I'm a real estate agent so I normally help people find 
a house, whether it's their primary home or whether it's going to be. I feel sorry for you. Do your real estate agent? Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but a lot of people reaching out and asking for advice um, or and help on uh, their existing home, whether it's they bought a, a property that they're tearing down and building or it's a renovation. And but they've already have the property. And so we were trying to figure out how can we help these people? Because we have, but we've been investing a lot of time. But how do we make it so we can do it so it is a win-win situation where it's not taking time away from clients who are paying clients to help other people that are not generating any revenue. So we came up with a model, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But the nice thing about doing that is is now we're more active in a lot of rentals and a lot of builds that we're able to take all those best practices when it comes to tendering materials or services and bring that to our clients that are our normal existing clients that are under a buyer representation when they're buying homes and they're fixing them up a little bit or it's a seller that's doing a renovation to increase the value to sell it. Right? So you're kind of you're consulting with people. That's exactly what we're doing. And I'm, and I see it cuz people are coming to you for your opinions. I'll never forget um, Nick, one of the first Matamies I purchased, it was Ruben who said, hey, don't let them build the kitchen this way. And you slice the kitchen peninsula. Mm-hmm. Do, you even, do they even do peninsulas anymore in any houses? Uh, no. I don't really see those no, anymore. No, but, you know, they said slice the peninsula off and make a, an island. That little change changed our whole freaking uh, layout of the house. And you've always had a knack for seeing things that nobody else can see. Yeah. And I can see why people are now doing consulting with you on that kind of design work. Because to me... I know you do, you're a realtor and, and that's kind of how you're generating revenue and stuff, but you've always had this design aspect where you're not a licensed like architect, but you kind of have this design architect well, angle. Yeah. And you came into real estate really backwards, really, because you were, you, for anyone not listening, you flipped, I forget how many homes it was in, in a period of time, but you flipped so many homes. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, from seeing all those things and seeing all the different models and all that stuff, like you studied a lot of those things inside and out. Yeah. Um, so you just, you've just seen a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah, during that process, I was super analytical. Um, the only reason why I got my real estate license is how, how many homes was it just for anyone listening to give them co- some context? We'll just say, yeah, Ruben doesn't like talking about yeah. that anymore. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, bunch. Just, it's yeah. a bunch. Yeah. But, um, it's well over 30. All right. So, but, uh, where I was going with that is that, the only reason why I got my real estate license is I wanted access to information to make better informed decisions. That was it, right? Now, everybody has pretty much access to information of like what sales, um, what property sold for, square footage, and all those different things. But to your point on that Madame house, it was even before, like not necessarily with you, but it wasn't, oh, let's, what should we change in the kitchen? But is that the best house based off what the, the, the client thinks they need and should buy. So there was a lot of folks on our team when we were at Oracle and they're like, oh, I'm buying this townhouse. I'm like, mm, what's your budget? And then I would get them to get into a semi or it was something that had four bedrooms or a double car garage, just kind of pushing the boundaries because it was less about how pretty it was, but it was more about what is going to be the best investment. And then from there, the one that had the potential to do stuff later, right? Uh, so that's why as part of this kind of consulting gig, there's people who are buying from the builder. Right, because they'll come to me and they're trying to look at resale. There isn't anything there. They look at the builder as an option. So that's one of the consulting services that we offer. Is like, okay, what should you buy from the builder? What should you get the builder to do in terms of structural changes? We had one client that was going to be spending almost three hundred thousand, over three hundred thousand dollars actually, in upgrades through the builder, like over three hundred thousand in a subdivision home. 
right, where the house prices were about 1.5 million. That as a percentage is grossly over what they should be spending because they'll never get that money back. So through that consulting engagement, we got them to basically, I think now they're spending somewhere around 110,000 through the builder. And then after closing, they're going to come in and spend maybe about 70,000, right? So, so, all to, so what were some of the things that you kind of got them not to do? So it, it was just, uh, I'll say some of the major things. And it was things that they perceived that would have value that had no value. They wanted to add a couple extra feet onto the back of the kitchen because they, they felt the kitchen was a bit small. So they were going to add and make the house larger by like four feet or something, four or five feet. Yeah, that's something I would probably want to do. Exactly. It makes sense. And yeah. so because once the foundation is poured, you can't change the foundation easily. But as a result of doing that, then now they would have um, the second floor. It wasn't necessarily fitting up, up symmetrically on the first floor. So then they were going to do it like a little balcony off of the master bedroom. So now that they can come out to a balcony and they thought this is great. So. Just those two options alone, I think, was close to $100,000 by the time between railings and everything like that. And I'm like, all of this was just to get some more space within the kitchen. And I'm like, first of all, how many times do you think you're going to go out in that balcony? Never. Once. 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 Yeah. 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 When you close. Uh, Yeah. No. When you go to clean it. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Once, so once, once a month. A year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking once a year. Your my house is my house, your house cleaner. is cleaner. Because right? <laughs> I had it, and that's the thing is by by me living in so many different houses and really understanding what we would use, what we would not use, and having those conversations with clients. I, I'll always ask them, "Hey, do you use that? Do you use this?" Rather than than the normal conversations that you see with real estate. But either way, so um, I'm like, you'll never use it. And the other thing too, is like, you're not in a mature neighborhood with trees. So you're, all you're doing is now giving more visibility from that balcony looking out and the, and, but they're like, but look how it looks nice. It looks on the elevation from the outside, from the back. I'm like, when are you going to go to your backyard all the way to the, your property line and look at your house? You're never going to see that. So all these things that they saw value in real, they quickly said, wait a minute, you're right. There's no value in that, but how do we solve the problem with the kitchen? So we did a redesign in the kitchen and we created a, a kitchen that was far better. So now they end up, remember, they were going to spend over 300,000 in upgrades with the builder. We got them down to about 120,000 and then another 70,000 in other improvements that they would do after the fact. Things like a pot light, a builder's pot light, $350. You can go aftermarket when you go into a house, you're probably paid like 50 to $75 for a pot light. So they're spending a fraction less getting way better product, way more customized. And then the value of the house, the finished product will be far better and worth more. And yet they still saved almost, by the time it was all said and done, about 150,000 total on their project. And what that cost them was $5,000. Yeah, you've always had a right. knack. You're saying the $5,000 because that was a consulting That was agreement. a consulting agreement, which- you Got it. Yeah. But I, I, I can see- yeah, I'm I, surprised I, the builders even still do some of those types of changes in, in markets today. So some of the initial changes that they wanted to do, I, I would just think that they don't, you know, but I guess you're saying they want to because of the, the profit margins on them? Because they they'll, they don't want to do it. They almost penalize you by charging you an absurd amount of money. And it's crazy that people pay for it because, again, the perception is, oh, I really, really, really wanted this. And I'm like, well, why do you want it? And then they're like, oh, because and I'm like, no, that you would never... Right. I'm like, and then they start thinking about it. You're like, you're right. I wouldn't. I and, and so in that example, you were able to change the kitchen layout. And I've seen you do this a million times, but you were able to change the kitchen layout. And then they had more square footage or they felt like it was a larger kitchen. Yeah. And, and part of that was just what moving around the island, changing yeah, the spacing so, things. And again, we, we, you, 
you would really need to see. No, them. I know, but, but do but, your best yeah. to describe so, it. So what they had is they had a small island and a U-shaped kitchen. Okay. Okay. Think of a U-shaped kitchen where your counters are U-shaped. You got counters that are facing, like where your sink is, is facing your backyard. Very common in a small island. We got rid of everything that was up against the rear exterior wall, and we did a floor-to-ceiling window there, right? So making that feel even bigger looking out to the backyard. And then what we did is we ran now a much larger island because you don't have this extra two feet of counter, right? Oh, so, so we, and now we have a island. huge island. So their island went from, I think it was like four feet now to like eight feet. They have this massive island. Storage space they lost. No, they really didn't because, again, now the island is double wide. So you have cabinets on either side, 24 inches deep. Oh, okay. So you so, gained in the island. So they really didn't lose anything. And then what we did is... Where did the sink go? In the island, I guess? So that's funny. That's where I was telling them to put the sink. But they're like, no, we entertain. We don't want our sink in the island, the breakfast area. So they're still like... And I convinced them to do it almost against their will. And then after they did it, they literally called me a couple of days later and like, Ruben... We really think we need to put the sink in the back. We don't want it in the island. And the only reason why they don't want it, it's not what they're accustomed to, right? And what they're visualizing and how it is, is on a, they've never seen an island that's going to be almost like 10 feet by basically five feet wide. So they're thinking of a subdivision home with an island and a sink and pots and pans and people. I'm like, it's not going to look like that. But And I said, then you can create a level, just basically raise the breakfast bar area so that you have a little bit of a separation from the cooking and, and, and the workspace. But even after all of that, they're like, uh, I still don't want to do it. So we found an alternative where they can have a sink in the back and it, it works well. But I still kind of, as we get closer to the design phase <laughs> on the kitchen. You're not I'm, giving up on them. No, because I you're see, holding hope that yeah, they'll make the right yeah, design yeah, choice. Yeah. Well, I think they have to see a kitchen and then really understand it. And again, seeing something on paper rather than going to like um, one of the kitchen manufacturers and then their showroom and seeing some of the kitchens. Because then they... They're, they're, again, everything is based off of their current house and their storage and then the way they live, which is going to be much different in this new house. So I wasn't intending to go down this path, but now that we're here, where do you see architects go wrong most of the time when people are doing custom builds? Because I, I feel like you, we've had this discussion mm-hmm. and it seems like it's pretty common that architects will kind of like miss the obvious. Some architect listening to this is going to like roast us for this, yeah. but that, that's a common thing, no? I, you know what? It, it, it is. Right. Um, and I'm fortunate that I get to work with a lot of really good architects. The only thing is, is when they are looking at such a, a, a complex, like large project and they're trying to get the big conceptual things to all make sense, the smallest little details could get overlooked. So like at the day to day necessities in a house might yeah. get overlooked. Yeah. Okay. So, it's, that so makes sense. it's so easy for me to come in with a fresh pair of eyes because I haven't been pulling an all night or doing a design and then look at something, I'm like, man, that doesn't, like, that could be far better. And maybe if we do this or we do that. And, uh, and, and it's, again, it's because I've seen it somewhere or we've done it somewhere. And I'm like, that would be the perfect place to implement this, right? Um, and then so when we talk to the clients after they get their architectural designs and we change things, they're like, how come my architect didn't think of that? Like mm-hmm. that's that's so. Yeah, but to be fair, they have different priorities. They're looking exactly. setbacks on lots and exactly. trying to get. Certain they have all these parameters they're trying yeah. to work with. Where I'm just coming in and just trying to create wow factor at a at a much more like cost effective way of doing it. So if right. we ever move again, my daughter wants us to have a house. What's her dream? It's if you go in the garage, she can open a little door uh-huh. and you put your groceries there, and then you can go into the kitchen. Oh, yeah? And get access to her groceries yeah. from there. So that might cost me a whole new custom build because or she wants that. Then I'd probably do what I do with these other clients and tell them, you don't need to 
the <laughs> sink in the back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Um, okay, so I want to come back to like what you're seeing in the luxury home market in that mm-hmm. space right now. For everyone listening, we're recording this kind of towards the end of June. Uh, Nick, this might go out kind of like mid-July even. So just for mm-hmm. dating purposes with so much happening, I just want to kind of timestamp this a little bit. Um, but before I do... Why can you, for those people who don't know some of your story, you, your father was running a furniture store in, in Oakville? Originally Toronto. Toronto, then Oakville. Then came out to Oakville, yeah. You and your brother kind of were pulled into that in some capacity. Then you were kind of doing some of yeah, that stuff. There, and I just want, can you describe that period of your life, what you were running this furniture store? Yeah, so my, obviously my parents, immigrants coming here, um, worked in the factories. And then after... Um, he started delivering gro- my dad was delivering groceries and it went from delivering groceries at a Portuguese grocery store to delivering furniture at a furniture uh, store and the guy who owned the furniture store my dad didn't speak a word of English um, I guess I can say this I don't think any maybe they're not even alive anymore so he had a gambling problem right your dad, dad did no not my dad oh the other guy <laughs> the other guy I'm okay. talking about my dad yeah. <laughs> sorry the other guy so and he would leave my dad at the store Right, while he would go out and play cards and gamble. So my dad was forced to learn how to speak English because these customers would come in and he would have to sell the product. And then my dad developed as as so as as English started getting better, he would read the newspaper. And then eventually, um, the manufacturers, the sales guys who would sell them, uh, would actually be talking to my dad, develop a relationship. And they liked him so much because he worked so hard. He said, "Hey, if you ever want to open up a furniture store, we're going to give you all the furniture and consignment. You open up your place." And and that's how my dad got started. I I was probably like 11, 11, 12. And um, we were the cheapest form of labor for my dad, right? My brother and I. So my brother's 13 months older. And literally, it was like, there was no summers off, right? You were working at the store. Um, if it was during school, I remember literally getting off school, coming, first thing we had to do was vacuum the floors in the store. And then literally, it was like 4 o'clock is when you uh, you could not park on the street. So everybody, that's when you like took and loaded up the truck just before four o'clock, parked it in the back. Because once we closed, we'd start doing our deliveries, right? And we would be doing deliveries till like 12 or one o'clock in the morning. As an 11 year old? As 11, 12 years old. And it's crazy that people would expect, like think about you buying furniture and you waiting for a delivery. And all of a sudden a family shows up, a Portuguese family with two kids that are like, basically 12 yeah, yeah. 13 years old and they're carrying like sofa beds and couches so and you and manny are loading up uh, sofa beds as 11 and how old is he? he's how many years older than you he's 13 months older okay, so we it. were like super young and we like worked like i there was it was it was like and even then it was always like this thing i had in my head it was like this precision about efficiency and even the way i would break a box and fold the box and then literally t- like putting the handles on it was just nuts and i was always saying it didn't matter what i did if i did something i was going to do it and i wanted it to be done like awesome right um, but yeah, that was the whole furniture thing. And then got onto the sales side of it because my dad then started to go to Portugal and he would want me, and this is now around 16 and he now we're in Oakville. Yeah. Now we're in okay. Oakville and he would leave to go to Portugal and I would manage his store at 16 years old. Right. And I started thinking of like my kids when they were 16. Right. So I would be there taking care of the store, taking care of the house. But, um, yeah, that was kind of the background on the, on the furniture side. Yeah. No, it sounds like that would be a lot more normal. 
you know, years ago than it would be today. Yeah. Today, they're, you know. If you walked in and saw a 16-year-old running the store while the father was in. Yeah, uh, or an 11 year like all sorts of child labor laws being broken. And, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh. But back then, it was just kind of, I think it was just normal. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was thrown onto the, you, you yeah. were even younger than me by yourself, but because I, I, I was there with you and it'd be like, okay, on a construction site, here, here's the here's the big drywall buggy. Here's where the garbage chute is. Go around this floor and pick up all the drywall scraps. Yeah. And it was like, it was... It, the first time I remember was um, it was a winter vacation, so that two week break around Christmas, yeah. and it was freezing cold. And I guess I was probably yeah, I think I was probably around twelve or something uh-huh. on the job site, not supposed to be on the job site at that age. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. here, go do it. No hard. I helmet, think you learned you. you put, Maybe had a hard helmet. Did you? I had a hard head to begin <laughs> with, so I didn't. If I, I needed a hard hat. Yeah. Now, what did you have for fuel? Like, what would your dad give you? if you're going to come on to like to work? What would you eat before you go to food? work? Food? Oh. Normal uh, food? No. Not a... Co- coffee truck donuts. Like, yeah. uh, the, you know those two kind of glazed donuts that are stuck those in are so, I still remember those. Packaged those in amazing. a coffee truck. Yeah. So my dad, we would go uh, on a Saturday morning like to, to, to open a store. And we, there was a coffee. I think it was coffee time or something like that. And uh, I don't know what it was. but Or either way, he'd buy a dozen donuts, raised chocolate. And two chocolate milk. My brother would have six raised chocolate donuts. I would have six raised chocolate donuts and a chocolate milk. That was our breakfast. That's awesome. Tell me how you we ran on milk. sugar. It was yeah. just, and then after before delivery started, it was like a, a Coke and a chocolate bar. Boom, let's go. I thought when you said fuel, you meant motivation. And I was no, like, oh, the motivation was fuel. fear of my father <laughs> yeah. coming and me not getting yeah. the work done. <laughs> yeah, our father just dropped us off with no real instruction. Yeah. He just kind of abandoned us uh, on different job sites. But so through that whole experience, because I'd imagine you had people that mm-hmm. uh, you're paying bills managing the store you're handling inventory I, I guess from that what do you take away anything like do you reflect on that part of your life going wow like I went through that and because of managing that furniture furniture store I'm now benefiting in this way or no Is no it just like the struggle of it was worth it because it just made you tougher and stronger a couple of things definitely tougher and stronger I, I told you the story like when we would deliver stuff and we'd go through a doorway my dad would always say keep your hands on the outside of the furniture for the couch because or um, let's say it's a dresser, it was wood, just in case you would touch the doorway. He goes, your hands heal, furniture doesn't, right? So that gave you that kind of like... That, that you're not the priority, the furniture. Oh, yeah, yeah. right? So, um, and so that was that aspect. The other aspect is at a very young age, I was very shy, but I, I quickly learned when it came to sales, like at 12 years old, imagine like 12, 13 years old going into a store and my dad didn't have prices on anything. Because our competitors would come in and see our prices. So our prices were all memorized. So it's, uh, people would ask, how much is that couch? Right? And, uh, and remember, we were like in the junction area. So a lot of people kind of shopping for the best deal. And they're like, and I'm like, oh, that's 899 for the sofa and chair. And they're like, 899 I could go buy that down the street for like 600 And at like 12, 13 years old, I would like get all cocky. I'm like, where? Because I'll go buy five of them because we pay more than that. (laughs) Right. And then but it was those kind of conversations that kind of got me comfortable talking to people about sales and building the sales skill. And then on the relationship side, building relationships, it was with the like the suppliers and manufacturers because we went through some hard times and sometimes you didn't have money to pay them. So it was all based on relationships. So um, What, what was the key in maintaining the good relationship to handle that? Um, I think it was just always showing that you had good intentions and and and, um, and the first opportunity that you had and again a lot of transparency saying hey the, here's the situation here's the next deal as soon as this closes we deliver this and following through and on everything that you said you were going to do so uh, 
And as times got harder, my dad struggled more with that, right? So, and then we, we kind of started building up some debt and then things started going sideways. That's when my dad went to Portugal and I took over the store. And my priority was not to generate as much cash flow like as possible. It was to pay as much debt. So it was to literally increase their production, to pay everybody off so that I can then start off on, on uh, like fresh with them to start getting inventory so this might be too personal but i uh, i i guess i just i'm curious does do you was your dad running from the debt a little well he had to we came personal bankruptcy right moved back to portugal right and uh so he's kind of started over there right but so i i was able to kind of go through that and see everything like all the ups and all the downs and i think that going through that experience is what also kept me always very um i'll take a lot of risks right um but i'm also very cautious, like, like I of what the worst case scenario is, right? So I don't go in and make any decisions emotionally. It's always thinking, what's the worst case scenario? And if the worst case scenario, I can, I can deal with that. And the up and the upside is there. It just move forward as quickly as possible before, uh, before that opportunity is gone. On the sales side, you said, you know, when you were younger, if someone said they priced a piece of furniture lower down the street, you'd almost get a little cocky back then. Yeah. That's so not your approach when dealing with people now. Where did your, where did, did you have a conscious realization of like, I'm going to change my sales strategy or did you just become unconsciously competent in your sales skills over time? Yeah. I think what I ended up, as a kid, that was cute, right? Cause it was coming from a kid. If you did that yeah, as, as now older, you, it sounds yeah. like a used car salesman, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's like when you hear a little kid square, it's cute, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. you, you can't get away with it when you're older. But um, yeah, I think a lot of the sales uh, as, as I got older was like literally d- developed some of it myself, just kind of, um, but a lot of it came from uh, our careers in the software industry, right? We had some, some of the, the, tra- tra- the training, some of the best got. training. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it a lot is, is about who you are, then how you apply some of that training. Um, because I think, now in real estate, and I say this all the time, it's like every deal I do, I want it to be a win-win, a win for both parties. There's because always two parties, right? And so you got the buyer and the seller. And I feel that even if I'm representing the buyer and the seller gets completely short in the stick, that deal is always going to be problematic, right? Um, where if you can create a win-win, you're developing relationships and, and, um, and it literally just opens other opportunities, right? Okay, so now, uh, because you touched on real estate, what are you seeing? Um, I have more questions about your past in a second, mm-hmm. but what are you seeing in the real estate market uh, right now in the luxury kind of home category? What What's happening? Yeah. Are so- you seeing, because right now, I guess if I was to summarize the market as a whole, many people are in the wait and see approach. Mm-hmm. I would say some of our experienced investors are like, no, I'm taking action. Mm-hmm. Like I'm taking, they, they kind of understand this is the time they're going to take some action. Some newer investors are, are more suited to let's wait and see where things kind of settle before mm-hmm. we take some action in the luxury home category. What, 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 what are you seeing price point wise, trend wise momentum? Yeah. So right now, um, what I'm seeing is there's less, sales activity right and, and define the category of home that we're talking about when you say that so uh, you know what let's just say anything over 3.5 million so 3.5 right? million is generally 3.5 million is not going to be a subdivision home you're already going into more mature infill type area but the higher up you go the more this is actually um valid right what i'm going to say is that there is definitely less sales right um, but there's also less inventory Right. So because before you would see a lot of people who were making moves, they already they're in a house. But then they're like, hey, you know what? I, I, 
I want to build again. I want to do it, but I want to do it different this time, maybe a bit bigger in a different area or a different style house. So those are people who, had, because they were making that transition, they had to sell. Now people are like, ah, based on where the market is, I'm probably just going to stay put for the next little bit. So we're seeing less inventory and listings coming out. However, are the list prices and, the, and what's coming out changing? They're not. If anything, I've seen them go up, right? Which is pretty crazy because everything else is coming down, but list prices and high-end real estate is going up, like even on my street. Sir, there's almost a house that's almost at $8 million. So, okay, so what's happened? Yeah, why? And I think a lot of it has to do with, again, is the cost of construction went up so much, right? And then the lack of uh, opportunities of land being out there, people are like, wait a minute. And then they're using the last sale, which happened a while ago, right? Because again, there's no new low sales. So they're still using the last sale that could have happened two months ago. And they're basing their house off of that house, right? What they need to be factoring in as well too, to, to, to some degree, is well, how many sales have happened in the last 30 days or 45 or 60? And if there isn't anything, what are your chances of really selling that house? Now, if you don't need to sell and you just want to test the market, you're doing the right thing. List high because there's nothing like it right now and you may get that one buyer. Um, so that is what I'm seeing in the market. There's very little sales. We're not seeing prices being adjusted on the, on, on the super high end. Um, but I do kind of see now it looks like the conversations and the behaviors of the buyers are changing, which I do think you're going to see now a retraction in price. Because, for example, we got a great listing right now. It's by far the best deal. Like it's in southwest Oakville, just under $4 million. And uh, we know it's one of the best because we're now going like just over 21 days in uh, being on market. And we're still getting steady showings and second showings. So if, if it wasn't a good house and it wasn't priced well, you wouldn't be getting second showings and people telling you that they shortlisted it. But because nothing is sold, they're using that now to not take action. And the longer they don't take action, eventually it's not going to be us, but somebody else who does need to sell, they're going to drop, which is then going to affect our price. Right? Got it. So the bell the buyers don't feel like there's a compelling reason for them to act right now. Mm -hmm. I guess the compelling reason would be if interest rates keep going up the way we're being told they're going to go up, that could be a compelling mm -hmm. reason to try to lock, lock in a in. rate. But I guess at that some of these price points, maybe some of the buyers mm -hmm. don't really care about the mortgage. It's not changing their life at some of these price points. If you're buying a property for three and a half, four and a half, five and a half million dollars, you're not really influenced on maybe the interest rates as much as somebody getting into their first starter home. Yeah. Would you think that's? Yeah, I wonder if they care more about price than payment. I think yeah, they kind yeah. of are. They getting a de are they getting the right deal in their mind? Yeah. I think even if 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 and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but I think just in general, I think some people will look at things and it, it's almost like psychologically they just want if they feel like they can get it for a lower price, even if it doesn't make sense because if rates were slightly higher and over the long term they'll pay more, they might not look at it that way and this always comes down to price. And if they feel like it might be, you know, they can shave fifty thousand dollars off the price, which is which is a large number in a lot of in a lot of things, relative to these price points, it's it's a much smaller number as well. It doesn't really change things, right? And I don't know if that's that's what you see or not. It is. That's part of it. The other part of it is what are they being told, right? By their um, circle of influence. So for example, let's say their circle of influence, whether it's friends and financial advisors, mortgage brokers, real estate agent that they're working with, let's say their mindset is, Hey, I've just sold everything. I literally, I have four properties. I just sold all my four properties. You know what? Market's going to crap. We're coming into a recession and that's what they're being told. 
That's what's inflating. It's, it's not the interest rate. It's, a, it's what are they being told by their circle of influence. And a lot of people are now like, I, I'm, I'm talking to realtors. And that is the mindset that they're t- that's what they're telling me they're doing. So what are they telling their client? What's the chances their client playing close to list price, right? If that is their circle of influence. So um, it's, uh, it's, an, it's interesting times to say the least, right? Are you noticing any changes in something, some different areas? What about the, lo- the houses that are being sold as you know, you're going to knock this thing down and build any, mm-hmm. uh, any changes on those listings? Yeah. Though? Which that surprised me because like I said, I saw a couple of pretty decent lots and I, I did see a price correction on the lots around like from when the peak was easily about 10%. Okay. But then again, you got to remember from November of 2021 to the, they had gone up by like 35 to 40%. So to see a 10% increase, it's still, they're still selling and still listed at fairly high prices. Um, and, those properties, I'll give an example, something like in Southeast Oakville, something that you would buy for $3 million today is like basically a teardown. That is still a good investment because if you bought it at $3 million, you could probably do a build somewhere around two point five, And based on the list prices of your competition, around $7 million, even if you wanted to undercut them and then list at six five, you're still making a million, right? So there's still opportunity. What size of house is that that you're building for that? Or what, what dollar yeah. per square foot on build are you using so roughly? About Ballpark. Five, about $500 a square foot. Okay. Right. So a 4,000 square foot home, 500 a square foot. And again, and it, it, that again, like that whole topic. Is, sure. Yeah, uh, I get but, it. Yeah. But if you did, so, and that would, that would be 2 million on your build plus landscaping, clearing costs. That's where the two five comes in. So you're all in going to be for five, five. You sell for six, five, there's a million gross. Right. So, and those numbers still exist today. Right. And that house, if it existed today at six, five would sell compared to the stuff that's out there at 7.5 and eight. Why? What's out there at seven and a half and eight, eight, eight million. It, it, so it's, these numbers sound huge. Yeah. <laughs> these sound huge. No, there, there, it would be similar houses, but the reason why that house didn't sell is because maybe it was on a corner and it was at 8 million. Right. Oh, got it. So okay. here's the thing is this market right now is that if there's one thing, like if the house has one flaw or it's whether it's the price or whether the fact that, you know, maybe the next door, the house is it's an uh, it's a hoarder. So anything that could that could be an objection that is like that is so, so detrimental and it, the deal possibly not happening where before when the market was different, it didn't matter like because everybody was operating in fear. So the house could have been um, across from a cemetery. Because everybody yeah, was buying, past, a, uh, right? Yeah, you've but, dealt with that problem oh, yeah. before. I remember. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just, but so because people are looking at, at why the house hasn't sold, and they'll come up with something in their mind. Oh, it's, it hasn't sold because it's a corner lot. Well, corner lots didn't have any problems selling before, right? Come like like in in February and March, mm-hmm. right? It had nothing to do with it. It's it just the markets change, and the people look for reasons, and then they use that on that reason as a as an excuse. At that price level, do you get a little bit more they because they don't have the need to sell? So, you know, if someone's shopping at that price level, usually this isn't going to make or break them for their living arrangement for their family, right? And then is it just also during past times when markets have been like this? And I mean, like stock markets, things like that, and, you know, cryptocurrencies, like just the value of so many assets have come down. So there's just people feel like there's just not as money, even if they have they weren't going to use those assets to fund the purchase. Mm. They just feel they're like, oh, maybe I'll just put my hands in my pocket. So overall transactions just kind of take a, take a dive, just yeah. kind of the number of transactions because there's just no, 
no need there. So doesn't that play into it a little bit? And then even if you kind of build that home because things aren't moving, the value could be there, but then you're still sitting on it potentially for a longer period of time. If it's like, if we're using right now as an example. Yeah. So, and that's why I'm, uh, I, I 100% agree that that's what's holding people back is like, hey, you know what? We're not seeing money flow in. My, prof, my prof, uh, portfolio is not growing the way it was growing before. If anything, it's retracted. But if there is a deal because out there, and mm-hmm. that's why like going back to the house that I said that you're buying at 3 million, spending 2.5, making a million, at 6.5 right now, that would be like a deal. And as long as it's selling within the first two weeks, because that's what it has to sell quickly because there's going to be some urgency in the very beginning, those houses are still selling. They just don't exist right now, right? Yeah, so if something really stood out, like something that was very unique yeah. or that there was value there, then people, there's still someone that might move on on that one because of because of that factor. And Again, that, that one you're sense. saying is a deal because the lot is is a good lot and the house is built with all the modern things that someone's going to expect. Like, why is that one a good deal? One... Um, it's I always say it's to get all the stars to the lines. So number one, Great Street, a lot of new development on that street, and it's development that's going to be at that price point at seven. Okay, so you're buying a lot on a street that's going to support the exactly. sale. Exactly the, the 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 size of the lot. It's not just a regular lot. It's oversized in terms of its frontage, the, what it backs onto. So it's basically on the west side of the street. So sun exposure. So all the and it's not mm. a corner or anything like that. It's still within walking Got distance it. in downtown Oakville. So all and then what kind of house itself? More modern right now? Still people I, I paying would, for? I would still be doing more modern because if I look at some of the stuff that recently sold, even when the market was slowing down, the stuff that sold was the modern. And Why? in the modern, what features? Um, again, it's an, uh, is it that just personal taste? I th- uh, well. Uh, one of the things I, I keep on telling people, and I've been saying for a while, is a garage, garage space. I still can't believe that people are building houses for like $6 million and it's a two-car garage. I agree with I that. Because if I was buying that, I would, I would want... Yeah. I, I don't get it more. either. Yeah, and then the other thing too is like even when we're looking at lots, I'm always looking at, okay, what's our driveway going to be like? Because if all of a sudden you're building a house for like six... You know, the farther the house could sit back and still have a decent backyard. And, and then now, because it sits back a bit further, now you can actually do like a gate across the front. That differentiates the house. So there's little things that... You, you know, you want to add into that custom build that will put a set, like really differentiate the house from anything else that's out there. And then you come under like half a million to a million under that price point of your competition. You're like, you're what? what's with the garages? And this is something I don't know and I shouldn't know this or I've just never zoning. asked it before. Does Because there's, no, I was going to ask about the square footage because you know sometimes there's a maximum yep. uh, lot coverage. Yeah. Does garage can, um, count towards that? No. So depending on the zoning or where area, what areas you're in, like there's a, the majority right within Oakville only allow for a garage that's I think uh, 45 square meters right and that but and that doesn't count towards the square footage of the lot coverage towards the home so it does count towards lot coverage but the, normally when you have a big lot lot coverage is not, not an issue is okay. not the issue the issue is the garage size and why do we have a rule that says your garage can only be this big on and this zoning well you got to remember go back Whatever, 30, 40 yeah, years. Yeah, they were running how many, co- how mechanic, how, mechanic shops on the no, front lawn. But it wasn't so much that. How many, like, I remember coming in, we, there was basically three families living in one house, like, on a, and I think there was two cars. Two cars with three families. Now you have a family of four, right? Your kids just started driving now. Yeah, there's, I, there's, there's five cars in my family because of having two boys, right? 
So the, the, the dynamics of families, and then you have a, sometimes another family member, an adult that's living with you or something like that. So the amount of cars per household is completely changed. But they still have these rules based off of rules that were developed like, what, 40, 50 years ago, if not more. So right. how are you getting around that with lifts and things like that in the garage? So that's one way. The other way is um, is applying for a minor variance, right, which only delays the process. And then here's the problem when you go for a minor variance. The neighbors probably don't have an issue with you have a three-car garage. They just don't want any new development on their street. So they show up with pitchforks and the committee. like Yeah, the which committee. is well, all of Ontario and GTA's biggest problem. For yeah, sure. so it's all of a sudden they're not objecting to the garage. You just don't want development. What about tandem? Can you do like tandem parking in the garage that maybe but get exceptions? That, but that, so that's still part of yeah, the, the, square the, the square footage in terms of your max. So what, what some people are doing is, and this is what I did, is I actually did a garage with a tandem, but I actually used it as a workspace, right? So I didn't go for a minor variance. Because right? I knew that my neighbors would like literally show up with pitchforks on that day. And they're like, no, we don't want this house being built. So I, d I built it. And then after it was built, right, then I went for a committee of adjustments. So you could remove walls. To remove the interior wall. And they still showed up with pitchforks. Really? Yeah. And it was crazy. And they're like, ah, oh, you got, and I'm like, but, by the, but the, it got, got approved, right? And then we took down the wall down. But it did, at least it did not delay my construction process. And they didn't have a say in what I built. Because everything else conformed to all the, the requirements, right? So there's, there's certain ways. And then the other thing you said is lifts. So when you're designing a house, you want to design that with a garage high enough. Because there's some really, really amazing lifts right now. Like a single post lift. Lifts that are actually suspended. And um, it's still not the same as having like a three-car garage, Right. So if you have the ability to have a very wide lot and have three cars like side by side, it's far more convenient, right? Uh, suspended lift, I just don't trust it. I'm sure it's scary. great, but uh, if I, the first time I saw the car being uh, going up like that, I'd be like, I don't, I don't uh, want to walk underneath that yeah. thing. Well, that's for sure. Suspended lift is literally hanging from the ceiling, and it's so there's that. But even the one post lift is actually. I've, well, I've seen yours. Yeah. You have and a one post, no? Yeah, it's one post. Yeah, and when the thing lifts because it, it's on an angle upwards, yeah. you know, to, to compensate for the weight of the car, and then you see that thing go down, and it flexes, and, and then it becomes 90 degrees it, with the weight of the car. Yeah. But normally, so you, but there's no. So when post you're pulling, on the other when side. you're pulling the car into it, you're a little off. You're not. You're not flat um well once the car gets on it it flattens out right with the weight of it oh god right? yeah so just underneath but it's uh yeah are, are you seeing any other trends in housing like i know you're working on one project right now we don't have to say the the, the client's name here but they're doing something really cool with the kitchen a big part of the kitchen is like it's not just like a butler's area mm -hmm. it's actually like a a huge, almost like a second kitchen behind the wall. Mm -hmm. So they have this awesome counter space in an island and then a doorway. And in that doorway is almost like double the amount of counter space that they have on the kitchen that's showing to the rest of the house. Yeah, and is that like something, I love that by the yeah. way. Is that something new or? Um, no. Because it keeps all I, this, your, your toaster, your blender, yeah. your air fryer, all this kind of stuff. You yeah. just, it's like not visible at all. Yeah, so for more the elite, where they would actually have a lot of parties at their house and they would hire caterers. They always had like a butler's kitchen and you would see it. Like you go so you're calling this client of yours elite. No, I said, oh, I know this client. That's why I'm just, he's going to love that. Uh, but so, but if you go like on YouTube, right. And you look at houses like mansions that are like 40, 50 million, 150 million, all of them have it. And that's where you start figuring out, okay, where do I get some of these ideas and incorporate it here in a house that is more typical, still a luxury home, it's still gonna be probably over $4 million or whatever. But when you look at the cost of the land and you look at the cost of construction and that additional feature as a percentage of that, it's very minimal, right? So, but that, uh, it's something that 
and with their feature, what we li- really like too is you don't even know that exists. There's I like know, a secret so passageway nice. yeah. that leads into that room, right? Because all the millwork is all paneled and everything like that. So it's going to either be like a pocket door or like a butler door on a concealed hinge that you don't know what's there until you open it up, right? Um, but those are things that, again, will hugely differentiate the house. That and also outdoor space, right? Where people are spending a lot more money on, you know, covered uh, covered porches and uh, and pools and cabanas and everything like that. Is that more popular than ever, the covered porch? It is. The only thing is, is again, it affects lot coverage, right? So with a, the price of land going up so much and the average lot, depending on where you're building, it's a 60 by 120 lot, uh, you know, you do that covered porch, that's a smaller footprint of a house that you're going to have. Yeah, right? we wanted to get that out of the house we bought up in Blue Mountain mm-hmm. and uh, the builder wouldn't even go for it. Like they had it as an option if the lot size was a certain size. Yeah. Um, but because on the one we purchased, I guess they would have to go for a variance. They were like, no, we're not even going to get yeah. it. You mean in the, in the back? Were you talking the back or the yeah, front? Yeah, sorry, I'm talking, talking about the back. back. Yeah, okay. yeah. But, I'm but I love that, the covered no. porch in the back. But you don't like it? I do, but oh. I would never do a, like a... Is it called a porch in the back? I've never heard the back loggia. referred to as, call a, it as a... Loggia. What, do you, what would you call it? I should know. I, I just call it a covered porch. <laughs> and, and maybe you do. I just don't know. I, I just don't know. Yeah. I know because it's like living. It's basically like a living, living area. space. Yeah. yeah. But so uh, instead of doing that, right, as a fixed roof and everything, um, what I think, again, depends the style of the house and everything like that. But it's um, there's a couple of different companies local and there's some out of Europe. Uh, we did it at our place now. We had like an outdoor space. And they could not do the covered porch because they would have been over lot coverage. Um, but we got one of those uh, pergola. Uh, yeah, like a pergola on a pergola, hinges, motorized hinges. But it's on motorized hinges. So it's got these louvers, really like very slick. And it closes, got the rain management system in it with LED lights in it. And then it has the phantom. So it's waterproof when it closes? Yeah. So we have it closed for all winter and we have like all our furniture it in there. It can support the snow when it's closed? It can. Now it depends, again, how big you're making this and the spans of the aluminum and stuff like that. So... But yeah, with ours, it easily does. Um, so I'm sure it can. You would just probably have to have another crossbar somewhere. But doing that, it's no longer lock coverage because it's open, right? Oh, so Nick, it's maybe that's system. what we should do. Have you seen it at his house? It's really nice. The pergola. I've, I've seen those things. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, but that's, an, it will be attached to the house on the one side and we'll have the two posts on the other end. And then you add those phantom screens because up, like up north, there, I think there are quite a, a lot of bugs, right? Don't like bugs. Up north, my wife, it's like the same area. We're in the same with, province. With, we're, with talking like hours, we're talking mosquitoes. like two hours. We're talking like two hours from here. The it's a, up north, <laughs> it's like two hours from here. It's yeah. the same part of Canada. I know, but there's more mosquitoes. I don't know. Yeah. But well, so phantom screen. So you're building like the like a wall just based into the screen. No. So what ends up happening on the post? There's a track system, and then the very top, there's a valance yeah. with a blind. But that blind is just basically a bug screen. So sorry. And again, for people who don't know what a phantom screen is, a bug screen that you just hit. And it just closes and it literally... Um, Super pricey to do these? Yeah, it's getting a lot. Uh, so, but I can tell Inflation, you. Inflation, Tom, haven't yeah. you heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, but this sounds, what, this sounds what, what amazing. You, if your builder could have done it, yeah. right? No, what would they we charge We would have paid. We exactly. Paid and it. I think you would have paid less for this. And this is a far better solution, right? So <laughs> I'm going to guess, depending on the space that you want to, you probably want to budget anywhere twenty-five to maybe $45,000 for something like that. All right, yeah, got it. It'll be more. Yeah, depending how big it is. You don't know. Right? You don't know, Tom. Oh yeah. Tom, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll push. Yeah. We'll push a hundred. I've for made sure. it this far in life by just <laughs> with some of my strategies. Okay. So, and then um, anything else that's changing recently? Pools are still a thing on some of the higher end homes. I'd imagine they are. And I always. Why say, are you hesitating? Um, because they're so expensive and really difficult to do because of just getting 
uh, the resources like getting yeah uh, not yeah just hard to get so it's hard to get someone to return your call i think yeah. in, that, in that okay world. what about so pools yes anything by the way yeah, yeah. yeah. you want to get your coffee maker what repaired try doing that <laughs> yeah i know yeah. what about heated driveways uh not a i i think it's like my dream yeah um so we obviously have a, a, a friend who's got one and he'll i think once the you have guy one, he's yeah, the, the elite, elite guy yeah <laughs> once you have one i don't think you'll ever go back into a house that doesn't have one yeah. right um, I put it up to his house, you know, yeah, the house I'm talking yeah. about in the middle of winter and everybody had snow yeah, and his driveway was yeah. dr dry. Yeah. Does but, it go ahead. But the only thing is you also got to think is like, it's like, it's like, oh, I have a house that the grass cuts itself. Well, you hire people to do that. All right. So th there's a benefit of having heated driveways. Don't get me wrong. All right. Um, but I just don't think it's still the norm. No. Right. Yeah. But w once somebody gets like it, it will probably catch on as the cost of that comes down a little bit. Are they typically only done with concrete or no? No, no I've seen I've, I've seen it done with interlock. Right. Yeah. Interlock. Um, I've seen not asphalt. I, I though, don't, right. No, I never. No, I, don't I don't think, think I've, I've ever seen, seen it with either. asphalt. Yeah. OK. Yeah, but normally concrete. And then the, but the trade off with concrete is, you know, then you got your. Your, you know, Uncle Buck that comes over with his pickup and his oil spills all over your concrete, right? As opposed to... <laughs> yeah, no, I know. No, we grew up with a concrete driveway that was not poured well. You know, the ones that like kind of chip yeah, and yeah. flake off and that yeah. kind of stuff? Yeah, so that's... And with oil stains on yeah. it. Yeah, that's the worst part. It's like tire marks and oil stains, right? I think every car used to stay... Like every driveway had oil stains. Oil stains, yeah. yeah, yeah now someone has an oil stain, yeah. everyone freaks out. Yeah. Um, what... Uh, so if you had to project out the next year or three years, five years in kind of the higher end luxury space of real estate, where do you think we're headed? More more modern, is it a traditional style coming back? Larger kitchens, smaller kitchens? Are you seeing any trends that you can kind of talk about that come to mind? Um, well, some of the trends would be, I, I, it's more common to see transitional. So I don't know if a lot of people are going all in modern, right? And then a couple of people did and did it really poorly. And that property sat on the market for a bit. And maybe that turned off some other buyers. Uh, we had a really uh, uh, early on, uh, I think it was like 2010, we did a, a very modern house and I loved it. Uh, but my wife's like, yeah, I wouldn't go back to being in a modern house that mm -hmm. like that modern. Um, so yeah, when you went that modern, that wasn't my taste. I could respect the house as being a super cool modern house, but it probably wasn't my personal taste. Yeah. And the one thing about that house is that when you go more, what I call a classic modern, right? It is more timeless, right? Because there's not, it's very simple in its design where, but if you go into more of a classical traditional house, also timeless, right? Mm -hmm. It's when people are doing these more ultra moderns, like, you know, we, we talked about when you were even doing some of the backsplash here, I'm like blue, like blue backsplash. I'm like, those are things that may be trendy, but again, it's so small that in a couple of years you can replace it. But imagine building a whole house that was based on trendy. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, don't ever go with anything that's trendy. Okay, right? so stay classic, stay, stay true. classic. So it's either a classic modern or it's gonna be, because I, I go through some of these houses now that are modern and it's like all kinds of different cladding material in the front. And it looks like, you remember that game Tetris? They used to play yeah. with the blocks. Is that what people are doing? I th I've, oh I've my seen God. a few like that oh, now, it's, yeah. It's just like- That's, like, that's a thing. Yeah, it's like all these blocks that are intertwined into one another and, and um, gross. Yeah, yeah, got it. yeah. Okay. Sums it up. I just want I want to back up because I'm trying to I think a lot of people try to figure you out, Ruben, because you're really good at what you do in real estate. You seem to have a knack for serving clients' needs and making these win-win situations. I tell everybody, uh, you know, as far as 
people in the real estate industry that, uh, you know, let's face it, real estate can have a, a bad name, mm -hmm. um, but you're unique in that you really genuinely try to make win-win situations. And it doesn't feel like you're dealing with a salesperson when you're working with you and watching you deal with clients. Mm -hmm. You're always trying to make it a win-win and everybody's getting what they, they really want and what they value. We're, we're, you know, where does that come from kind of in, in your life? You said when you were folding boxes, when you were doing the furniture stuff, you always wanted to do it right and efficient. So I guess you've just always been that way. There's been no moment. You were just kind of, this has been in your DNA. Um, that's a good question. I, I would say that I think at an early age, right? So I, I'm pausing. I'm like, should I say this? I'm like, yeah, I'll say it. So uh, I had a brother, right? And I always kind of got the impression, man, he might have been the favorite. So I always was trying really, really hard to please my dad, right? So I had always this strong need for approval. And that need for approval led me to go above and beyond to help everybody, right? To just, and I think, and that, but, but I had got gratification out of it and I still do. So I actually, I enjoy helping people, period. If I didn't enjoy helping people, I wouldn't do what I do. Like, even like a lot of the deals that come together, it's I like people and I like helping them. And I think that brings everything right back down to is like, okay, how do I make this situation? So they get what they need, right? And I always say, the term I always use is like, oh, not let's get a deal done. I'm like, hey, I want to get as quickly as possible to um, an area where, or, or a point where we're at a price point that's going to be acceptable to your buyer and my seller. That's it. It's not, a, it's not get, get a deal done. It's like, where are we going to get so it's acceptable to both parties, right? Um, you said something once to me that was really profound when, uh, when you were my sales manager at Oracle, you said once, I don't know, you probably don't remember, but for me, it was like this profound, weird moment. You said, Tom, do you have a need? Do you want to get this sale done or make a certain amount, you know, or have a certain amount of, I guess, you know, financial success in sales, or do you have a need for approval? I don't know if you remember this don't because remember. Uh, because at the time I think if you sold a certain number of some piece of software you would win an award or you get recognized, yeah. or if you just kind of you know did the right thing and sold the software the way it was going to be maybe you wouldn't get that need for approval but you were still going to make the equivalent amount of you know money and at uh -huh. the time in my twenties I needed money to buy a house and uh, it just made me you you kind of stunned me because I think up until that point. No one had ever asked me that. And I think maybe I was leaning towards winning the award and getting the approval instead of just doing something that maybe wouldn't get approval and wouldn't get the award, but made the equivalent amount of money. And it was like kind of the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like uh, that pause, that was like a big moment for me in sales and in life. It's a really weird thing yeah, that you did, you did for me there. And I think uh, going back to like any job I've ever had, um, it could be working at at Oracle with you, with you or any software company, or even when I was working at Tim Hortons, right? One of my first jobs outside of working with my dad. And I thought after working with you my dad- You worked at Tim Hortons? And I, oh, so think about it. I was running a- Garcia system. worked at Tim Hortons. Yeah. And I didn't know Garcia yeah, worked and, at Tim Hortons. Yeah, and, and those pants were tight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they were tight. They were, but either, Tighter than the t-shirts you wear? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know they got the extra small pants oh, with yeah, the extra yeah, small yeah. t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? okay. Super <laughs> um, so, but all I remember is that uh, wherever I worked, right, I would get promoted and quickly, right? And I'm like, well, why is that? Well, it wasn't Are you doing just, the humble brag right now? 
Hey. Is it? Yeah. Because <laughs> no, I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking <laughs> hey, listen. Why I was so good. Wherever <laughs> I've ever been, they always promote me. I, get, I just keep, I don't know what it is, guys. I just keep getting promoted everywhere I'm at. But, because I'm telling you, there was people who probably worked as hard as I did that were there for years, but they weren't getting promoted. And I think what I did is I worked really hard and I, and I, I was offering more value than the, than the normal people, right? Or the average person. <laughs> normal people. <laughs> keep going. Yeah, keep going. I want to hear this. But I always made sure that the people that mattered noticed. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. And so those types of You were selling yourself. You have yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. I always like, I would like, hey, and, uh, and then some managers, they got it early on. Other managers, when I would come in, oh, and then this one like this, and I said this, and I said this, and I'm like, just how did it end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we get it. We get it. What's the long you're, story? You're, Cut to the yeah, chase. Yeah, Cut yeah, to the okay. chase. We, I already know you yeah, did yeah. your job, and I'm like, well, how did it end, right? What about, uh, we, I want to talk about this just a little bit. You had kids young. When did you have Austin? At how old were you? Oh, man, I was I was 21 uh, when uh, Lori was pregnant, and Lori was like 19. So, yeah, you guys. So, uh, yeah, he... Actually, I turned 22 because well, Lori went into labor on my birthday. So I was 22 okay. years old when he was born. Okay. So um, what, what do you think about that? Was that, uh, how did that, how did that shape you? Um, I, I always wanted to like start a family early. Like that was a big thing for me. Uh, so uh, probably I wasn't expecting. So it wasn't planned or anything like that. Uh, but financially, did it drive you? Oh, it Were you me. just scared oh, shitless? Oh, it killed me because we weren't prepared. I, we, we had no way of supporting ourselves at that time. Like, I mean, uh, I was working. At the, was I at Tim Hortons then or I, was, I think it was a security guard? Uh, my wife was a down. Security guard had the tight pants too? Uh, Maybe you just went to places where they had tight pants, dude. <laughs> no, was, the, shirt, the shirt was pretty The shirt tight. was tight? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was your security guard era. Yeah, got Yeah, it. so I... And, so uh, yeah, we were like uh, trying to like literally. I, all I remember is I had before getting married, I had a nice car, and I literally had to. I, I, that was the time we went bankrupt. Like my parents went bankrupt, and the car was under his name, so my dad's name. So they repoed the car, but I was able to keep the wheels, mm -hmm. right, and sell the wheels to help pay for my wedding. Right, that's how tough it was. And then we we were going to be moving into my dad's basement, but we had to sell the house because obviously. And so we had no place to live and we just were like looking at apartments and we couldn't afford anything and some of the stories of the apartments that we looked at and uh i remember telling Lori like oh, this is the one we can afford she's like i'm not going in there and i'm like <laughs> no we have to go in there. i said i'm not going to make you live here but i would i need to know where we are right now because i will remember this day and we did go inside right and then the best part is we go into that, the, I, I would pull up into the, the, the building, and as we get to the front door, the glass is broken in the foyer, so, and we're hitting the intercom, out comes the superintendent, right? And, uh, and he's asked, like he's yelling, because I guess in the foyer of the building, even though it was probably like 10 stories or whatever, the second floor was open to the foyer. And then as we walk in, he's yelling up to the second floor, to, for his wife to throw down the keys and then he brings us to this lower level unit that had little lookout windows right oh wow and as we approach it he's like knocking on the door and he's looking in through the peephole because the peephole is busted out right and uh, we go inside and all i remember is like this place was a, a dive but the floors because it, every time they get a new tenant in there they wax the floors or they add it was parquet floors, but it must have had like about an inch of finish on it. And it was like just shiny. It looked like an ice rink. I know that. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and, but we looked at the place and we're like, okay, so this is like $650,000 or $650 a month. $650,000. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny? You're kind of, yeah, yeah. Like, so this is six fifty a month. And he's like, oh no, 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 no. This one's like seven twenty five, And I'm like, I can't even afford this. All right. So we where did you guys live? So we then moved in with my mother-in-law. So, which was, cause they were in a tiny little townhouse. So we, we took the upstairs bedroom from my sister-in-law who went into the unfinished basement to live downstairs. We were there for maybe about six months until we were able to kind of get enough money and get into an apartment that we were paying. I remember we were paying like $825 a month, right? That was our first kind of being off on our own. And literally everything was a struggle, all of it, right? And, but it's funny, I have two boys and I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I didn't kind of have to go through that. But all of them, they're like, man, I wish I had your story. Like they, 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 it's almost like, you know, you do everything for your kids so that they don't have to struggle. And then they're like, yeah, but I wish that was me. I want, I want to, I wanted to go through that story. I want to, and I'm like, well, you know what? Okay. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Make your own story. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, so there's a genuine need for a bit of effort and struggle from your boys. They want to go through. I I guess they want to prove to themselves that they can stand on their own two feet. I respect them immensely for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it just, it's it's weird because you have that story. Uh, Nick and I don't come from a family of Mm -hmm. of money or anything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like perhaps we're not giving our kids that and you're looking for ways to teach them Mm -hmm. struggle. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how to solve that. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know either. It's just kind of like a pattern. Unless they piss me off real bad. I mean, you punch them right in the face. Are you allowed to say that? No, I can't. no you no. can't touch them. No, Dante, that's bad. No. My, my youngest, he's like, he does boxing, so I wouldn't. He wouldn't punches get into a you in the face? Fight. No, but I wouldn't oh. get into a fist fight with okay. him. I'm joking. I would There's no punches him. being You gotta take him down. Take him down. Yeah. Oh, take him down. Oh, oh. oh, yeah. Double leg? Squeeze it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've been through a lot, dude. And I feel like some people who see you now and, you know, you drive nice cars and you live in an absolutely beautiful house. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like sometimes people who don't know you don't know your story and what everything that you've been through. And I don't think they know how you work with people and how you're genuinely always trying to make a win-win where everybody's feeling satisfied. And you do all these things for people don't know the half of what you do in real estate Mm -hmm. to get uh, people buying a certain house or selling a certain house where they feel really happy on on what they're doing and for genuine purposes. Um, If they saw behind the scenes of Ruben Furtado, instead of the Ruben Furtado who might um, drive by in a certain car or a motorcycle or something like that, um, I think they'd have a, a you know, a, a real deep appreciation for everything you've been through, man. You, and, and, and you, the clients you work with, when I speak to them, they have like a really deep appreciation for what you do. And I don't know if they always kind of tell you that because sometimes people aren't good at sharing the way they feel, uh-huh. but I, you know, I can completely see it. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool, man. You've, yeah. you've been through Thanks. a lot of shit. Yeah. Um, you're not drinking the shitty coffee anymore, hopefully. But that's uh, that's. Are you still drinking yeah. shot, uh, coffee from Winners at the checkout no, aisle? No, not Winners. No, where do you get it now? Sobeys. The Sobeys? Okay, yeah. no, maybe it's good <laughs> coffee. Maybe it's decent coffee. Sobeys might have decent coffee. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so it's cool to see, man. Oh, really. I like even the last couple of weeks and stuff like that. Uh, with the market being as difficult as I, I have. And Austin's the same because Austin works with me. He's a realtor, and it's whatever it takes. That's what, that's the mentality that we have. So sometimes there's a house, and, we, and right now it's about urgency getting things on the market because we see things slowing down. Well, if you're trying to get a stager and the stager's booking two weeks out, we're like 
screw that. We're renting a truck. We're basically, we will rent furniture. We buy furniture. We put it there. And we're like literally moving people's. I'm like taking down screens off windows. It's just this, it's nothing that you would ever think a realtor would do. But at the end of the day, I remember you unboxing and installing appliances because I think the guy was out of town on one project. I think you've probably done this a number of times, but I was, I was one specific instance and yeah. you were there unboxing, installing all the appliances, trying to get rid of everything. Like it was like, you know, I either it had just been listed and showings were going to start or it was going to be listed. And yeah, it's just all the stuff that, and I think you just kind of just up and do that knowing it needs to be done. And I, 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 I and I think the people that I've seen that have been kind of, you know, generated the most success for themselves, that seems to be a common trait where it's like, yeah, this just needs to get done. Yeah. I don't know how else to get it done. So we go to get it done, yeah. you know, and that's that's kind of what uh, that stands out because yeah. a lot of people would look at that and be like, well, we can, you know, I can't do it now. We got to just wait until next week yeah. because that's not going to get done. Right. It, it just changes things like, the, like even last week. I'm like pulling weeds out of somebody's house, a listing, cleaning the pool like and to clean the, and the pool was pretty bad. So I was only like there an hour and a half cleaning a pool. That's not the best use of my time. Right. Period. But if the, the trade-off of that mentality, getting things done, that as a whole is, is going to make it all worthwhile. Mm -hmm. right? So, Wow. Yeah. Dude, uh, if someone wants to reach out to you to do some consulting work with you, or yeah, what do you, do you want to talk about that consulting thing? Yeah, about, well, super, how do you work with that? How yeah, does that work? Just because there's been so many questions about it. So uh, the way it works is, again, let's say it's um, somebody who doesn't necessarily need a realtor because they already own the property. It's their primary house. Let's say they've already bought the property and they're looking for, um, you know, advice um, or ideas on the design side um, or they're looking to get a better understanding of from a budgetary standpoint what they should spend on it because they don't want to overspend. Uh, um, or they're looking for trades because we have obviously a Rolodex of all the trades that we work with. Um, something as small as that, or it could be that they're actually going to tear down and build, right? And they're now looking like, no, I need everything from help from, you know, uh, sourcing out an architect to coming up with a set of designs and then hiring a builder. So what we do is we provide consulting services around, like really from the very beginning to the very end to where they move in. Um, and they engage with that to get a price for that kind of thing by reaching out yeah, to you? Yeah, so remember back in the software, uh, in, uh, back, in the, back in the day, you'd have that proof of concept mm -hmm. that we would, a lot of times, uh, a large company would hire a third party that would actually do the proof of concept because they already had all these benchmarks, right? So imagine now you're bringing somebody in who has all these benchmarks of what's, what's a reasonable price for this? How long should it take for that? What are the pros and cons of... So if we were recommending a builder or a trade or an architect, we're not just making a recommendation. I'm like, hey, here's three of them. Here's the pros and cons of each, right? Here's what the average price is. Now you can make an informed decision. And better yet, you're like, well, I know this other guy. I'm like, perfect. Let's get on a call with him. And then I, while you're present, we're interviewing that builder. And we're asking questions that are either going to identify a red flag early, or we're going to say, hey, this guy seems like pretty legit. So we'll help go through the qualification process. So I always say, think of it having as a family member or friend that has been doing this for a long time and constantly coaching you and giving you all the right information. So the way that works, though, is I was doing a lot of that stuff for free, and I just couldn't anymore. You were right? breaking. I was breaking, right? <laughs> so I still want to help people, but the way I do it right now is um, we put together a consulting agreement, and it's really simple now because if they're interested, I'll just send them the consulting agreement to review it. It's like a two-pager. But what we do is we charge $5,000, right? And it's a $5,000 retainer. 
right? And with, for, five that, for that $5,000, they get 10 hours, and they can use it any way they want, whether it's going to be an on-site visit, whether it's going to maybe they bought a house out from a builder and we're going to go to the showroom, however they want to use it, or whether it's doing redesigns. Um, but what I promise them is if after we go through the first two hours, if they don't see the value of a minimum of $10,000 in saving in the first two hours, that I actually give them back the full 5000 right? So it's a no-brainer. You're putting out five, and then in two hours, which would cost you only 1000 the, the the return on that 1000 is at least ten, right? And if they don't see that, here's the 5000 we go our separate ways, mm-hmm. right? But this way, and, and for a lot of clients, and then what I, if, right? Because I don't like charging for that service because I normally do that for our clients who are buying and selling with us. And I say, if you then buy or sell, right? What I'll do is I'll apply that 5000 that you paid me. I'll already apply it to the original commissions on the Got sales it. side. Or if you buy, I give you back the 5000 in commissions that would have been paid by the listing broker. Got it. So they're getting that money back. So it's a short-term investment if, if they buy and sell with it. Yeah. But if, it's a if, way to test the waters with you a little bit. Yeah, because from that, I've, I've now had the opportunity to work with a lot of clients that would have probably not worked with me because they said, oh, my brother is a real estate agent, but the brother was offering no value. Mm-hmm. So now, the, now they use that. Not like Nick's brother. Nick's brother offers a lot of value. No, I'm just thinking that. I, I owe Ruben money now because yeah. because every All time those things every, every time house, I've done done yeah. anything I'm like hey Ruben can you just take a look at this yeah. I'm gonna do this you what do you these think drawings yeah, yeah. yeah. I Even, know you're busy but can I just show you these drawings <laughs> Even my wife she's like oh yeah I think this is really good this is gonna work you know what why don't we just run it past Ruben yeah. just to get everything it. my whole family if we ever talk about a house or yeah. possibly moving what does Ruben think yeah. can you get Ruben to look at the house is this a good deal So yeah uh, but like I said now it's it just makes it a lot easier to engage with with people and um, how do they find you for that. Yeah, so number one, they can always email uh, me directly at, uh, at Ruben, R-U-B-E-N, at rockstarbrokerage.com, uh, or they can follow us on social media at, at The Furtado Group, um, whether it be through um, uh, Facebook or Instagram or even YouTube, and just send us a direct message and we'll reply back. Normally, we'll just ask a couple questions, send them out the consulting agreement, and we take it from there. Cool, man. Anything else uh, you wanted to share? No, I appreciate getting the chance to sit down with you, man. Always. Yeah, you're always, always yeah, you're always busy running around, so appreciate this a lot. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mr. Ruben Garcia Furtado. <laughs> hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Ruben. You can reach Ruben uh, on his email at Ruben at rockstarbrokerage.com. That's Ruben R-U-B-E-N at rockstarbrokerage.com or on Instagram at the Furtado Group. So on Instagram, he's at the Furtado Group. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode, everyone. And if you're listening to this and you're not on our weekly email list, what the heck are you doing? Every week we share different real estate and economic data points. You can add yourself to that list by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash newsletter. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time, your life, your terms.